Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from the Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome. It is good to hear. I see you all again. I, I've, uh, I've, it's been a while since I've been on the pod. I'm happy to be here. Uh, are you guys going to say something? No. It's been a while. It's been a while. Um, no, it's good to be back. Uh, for a, we're, Today we're going to do a Needful Tweets episode. We're here to talk about tweets, some Hollywood King. There's some news to discuss. And we're also going to offer up uh, an inter- not an interview, a review, uh, a broad level review, no spoilers, of The Institute, Stephen King's latest book, even though he already announced a new one that we're going to probably talk about later. So lots of lots of things to discuss. But uh, before we get started, why don't we go around... Who is sitting to my right? This would be Michael McMack Rothman. And there's no ties to the anything that we're talking about to Pet Cemetery today. And we've pretty much moved on from Ludlow, but I'm bringing it back. No, the McMack burial grounds play a huge role in the Institute. Oh, do they really? No. Oh, well, that's a bummer. Be fun, though. Yeah. But I'm crossover. Uh, <laughs> but sharing the mic with me today. This is Danny Deadlights Flieger. Greetings. Good to see you all. And uh, you said Deadlights because you just watched uh, It Chapter 2. Jesus Christ. I feel like I'm in like, uh, what was that? Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? No. Just keep going <laughs> up to the microphone. We got two guys sharing a microphone this time around as we're, as we're in some new studio digs, as you might say. So we're getting used to them again. Um, Deadlights, also a big part of the Institute. Oh, really? No, I'm just going to keep saying that oh, all these okay. things are. Okay. It's the ultimate crossover. <laughs> They're all there. Uh, is Cujo. In Cujo, the of course Cujo's there. He's love always it, there. Love it. He's, uh, he's got his own little cell. Yes. He, um, he is referenced in the constant reader section, though. King dedicates a uh, section and brings up Cujo. Oh, really? Oh, wait, he does, doesn't he? You're right. Oh, my God. I totally forgot about that. Um, so, and this is Rockin' Randall Coburn, by the way. I don't think I said that. No, you didn't. Ah. <sighs> But they recognize your voice. I would hope so. Um, Before we get started, I think since it's spooky season, Halloween, why don't we all go around and say, what's like a great scary movie that we just watched uh, that you would recommend to our listeners? We've obviously got our, this is, I guess, to go along with our 31 days of horror that we... Uh, have been putting out on socials every day. If you're not following along, you should. We are recommending a horror movie every night uh, this month, and we assume that each and every one of you are watching every movie every night. And you kicked it off. I did with uh, Wreck, which is one of my favorites, and then the second one, Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Uh, was my first two two found footage movies that I love and adore both of them. If you had to choose one found footage movie between those two, which one would it be? That's a great question. I think I I ultimately find Wreck like more entertaining throughout, yeah. and it's uh to me just got one of the best final 10 minutes of a movie I've ever seen. But Blair Witch, to me, I have a fondness for it. And every time I watch it, I appreciate it more. I think that movie was was such a happy, beautiful... It's not in, like an accident, but these guys had no money. They were all really young, totally doing this thing on the seat of their pants. And I do think that there was a lot of talent going into it, too. But I think that there was a lot of, like they trusted each other so much and that's so evident like in the movie and I'm just astounded by what they were able to capture like uh, from a horror perspective from an emotional perspective from like a psychosis perspective because it's so much about like just watching people lose their fucking minds and for these people being like very young amateur actors they're all so good and it still angers me that like like Heather Donahue was like nominated for a Razzie or something like that year it's like what the fuck no, it's ridiculous. I mean, the the acting in that, especially with Joshua Leonard. He's great. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Love and it. Michael C. Williams, too, is yeah. awesome. Yeah. That dude dropped off the planet. But uh, Michael C. Vill- what if it was Michael C. Williams versus Michael K. Williams? Um, That would be a formidable fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, just a little bit of fun facts from the past. So Dan Caffrey, for his eighth grade birthday, we saw a double feature of Blair Witch and Deep Blue Sea. Ooh. I forgot they did actually come out around the yeah, same time. Yeah, those were in the yeah. theater at the same time? That's wild. Yeah, because I remember seeing Deep Blue Sea and then actually going to the Deep Blue Sea the next day. Wow. And uh, being in the ocean, sharks? I was a little scared. Yeah. I was never scared of the ocean even after seeing like Jaws or Jaws 2 or Jaws 3 or Jaws 4. But Deep Blue Sea, there's something about it because they're smart sharks. Yeah. 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 
Um, so what's another movie that maybe isn't on our list that, cause I know you have been watching a lot of horror movies. I don't know about you, Flieger, but. Oh yeah. I try to keep a horror movie a day going. Nice. For the whole what month. have you been um, watching? I actually saw Midsommar for the ah, first time and I Midsommar. really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was just visually stunning and I read some critic online described it as less of a horror movie and more of an opera. Yeah. And I thought that yeah. was like great. And like, I, it's just, the setting is so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the story is kind of predictable in a way. You yeah. sort of see where it's going from a long way out. But yeah. the final third was just incredible. Like, yeah. I really loved it. I agree. I was a huge, huge fan of that movie. Mike, how about you? What have What have you seen? I've been watching uh, my own. I've uh, I have a 31 days uh, calendar for myself. Oh, nice. That I'm sharing currently with my girlfriend. And uh, each day we've been watching them. So we watched a ton. Last week, the fr- you know, the first week of October uh, was, you know, you'd call them baby movies. <laughs> So we had like you know the Monster Squad oh, I love Monster or Squad. Uh, Casper, Casper, uh, which my with my uh, boy Devin Sawa and uh, but one of the films that we revisited that I really love so much is The Blob, the yeah. the nineteen eighty nine never version, seen it. I think uh, yeah Chuck Russell's film great it's it's so uh gory yeah really fucking gory wow yeah. interesting a lot of fun but what about you um i actually rewatched i i've i've been you know i get home at the end of the night and i like horror movies but like you know love island's calling my name and i just want to like zone out on my phone for a while but i did the other night i was just chilling and i put on uh child's play 2 because i hadn't seen it since we saw it at the music box of horror several years ago and i love that movie yeah. it is so funny it is like gruesome in really fun ways and i was just cackling at like because i remember we laughed so hard in the theater when he's like park this piece of shit and it's so <laughs> funny and i've I played it for jen and she was mildly amused yeah one of the best chucky uh kill scenes too with the hot wax getting poured all yep. over him in the air hose i love that so much i love it yeah i always felt bad for the teacher yeah in that movie yeah you know i mean she, i guess she's kind of an asshole though right yeah she asked for it yeah. well in a horror movie if you're doing anything mildly negative you're asking you're for done, it you're done for and it. i did rewatch blair witch for i which i, I watch almost every couple years because it's just a movie that is important to me and that i love and uh and you know my wife was was amenable to that um, she really wants to watch only lovers left alive, which oh I've yeah, never that's seen. a that's a um, not a fun movie per se, but a good one. Yeah, uh, I mean, I like Jarmish. Well, yeah. he's hit or miss for me. I heard the zombie movie was yeah. Good. I heard Dead Don't Die. Is yeah, I I got so bored during. Really, that. I'm a big fan of his, and it, it just it, it really under delivered. That's too bad. Was it like Patterson with zombies? <laughs> I would have preferred that actually. Uh, that would have been great. I like Patterson. I love Patterson. That's probably my favorite Jarmish of the decade. I would say. I also put on a mindless horror movie. Because um, I like found footage and I can usually enjoy even kind of the shitty ones. But I put on Hell House LLC because I saw a lot of like people online like it. And uh, it had a couple of cool moments, like moments that I feel like found footage can do so well where it's like, you know, the camera is facing one way. Well, like you come into camera and there's like uh, a mannequin, right? And its head is facing one way. And then you turn the camera and then you turn back like a second later and the head's turned towards you. That's really spooky to me. And I love that kind of shit. Um, and there was, yeah, there was a couple of cool sequences like that. But overall, it's like it has like a very bro feel because like the guys who made it are all just like alpha bros. And it's like, dude, dude, oh, fuck. It's like you're watching Ghost Adventures. I was just going to you know? say Ghost Adventures. I put that on the other night. And uh, Sammy was not into it, but she was just like, what is the unifying theme of this? It's these bros. And I was just like, Ghost I was bros. like yeah, yeah. And she, I was like, what, is it kind of scary for you? And she's like, no, it's just like exhausting listening to them <laughs> episode after episode because all they do dude, is just dude. say the same thing. Yeah. yeah. We were just like, I was like doing impersonations as I was walking through the house, yeah. just like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. God <laughs> but you wouldn't... you. It's fucking crazy. I, I I don't know what the fuck was in there, man. And it's just like so episodes. If you watch like enough episodes after a while, it it almost it's like they say the reactions are always going to be the same yeah. because that's just their you know instinct. But uh, hard show to binge. But I love the history that you learn from each one of those yeah. spooky places. Yeah, so it's I'm, cool. I'm, I'm, it's, I, it's a fun one to go. I'll with. just say, yeah, similarly, when I was watching Hell Hell's LLC, I just cut after a while, like my wife's like playing her card game on the computer or whatever. And then I just I just kept going, fuck. Oh fuck! Oh fuck! You know, because that's like like everything yeah. they say in the movie. You know, it's yeah. like, oh fuck! And she's like, "Stop it!" It's just well, it's so addicting to like be able to do those impersonations of them too. Because 
I, we've talked at lengths about uh, the host of the show and how he totally believes and is really oh, earnest. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so there's something about that, that that that's respectful. He's but so that's, earnest. But at the same time, you're also just like, yeah. oh, man, can we get another person with some a little, a little more nuance <laughs> with when he's talking about these scares a little bit? But no, way. I've told this story on the pod before, but I had like a genuine night terror once after watching uh, Ghost Adventures because I was like binging them and... Uh, and like it was an episode it's like I get freaked out by demons like demon talk uh, we've talked about this before but it's like demon talk always really freaks me out because I come have like a Christian background and so like there was one where they like to fuck with demons a lot and, they're, and they'll have like bishops come in and they're just like guys stop it stop taunting the demons and I and I remember there was one where it's like Zach was like possessed or something and I just I remember it like it didn't scare me when I was watching it but then like that, I don't know, something seeped into my brain and I had, I've only had two night terrors in my life and they were both horrifying, like scariest experiences I've ever had. And one of them was after binging like three hours of ghost adventures. Well, so. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it stays <laughs> with you for sure. Especially like, even though you never see anything and I guess the series is a pretty good case against ghosts because they never really do see anything. <laughs> well, they'll tell you otherwise. Yeah, they'll be like, yeah. well, there's stuff that we didn't put on. It's like, why didn't you put it on? It's fucking good. No, I'm just joking. But uh it, it the the atmosphere of those shows definitely are affecting. Yes. Um, so. Well, that's good. I think that was good chat, good spooky chat for Halloween. Yeah. And uh, I think it's time to head into an area that's maybe a little less spooky, but uh, there's always a spooky era around Stephen King, uh, and that's in his Twitter feed in a section we call Needful Tweets. He's not a human being. No! Don't you see what he's done? Let's talk tweets. How far back are we going? Oh, we're not going too far back because we missed out on a ton. So I did the cutoff at like around September 1st. So... Uh, basically, Probably a smart move. yeah, and instead of like in previous year, you know, previous years, well, I guess we are doing in years in previous episodes of Needful Tweets, uh, I'm having it go from like the most current to the oldest as opposed to the oldest to the most current because gotcha. I just feel like that's you know, you're gonna want to know the new stuff, but what's the new news? But uh, so the first one is in our section, the stamp of king, and this is you know, generally where we put the tweets that show uh, mm-hmm. king, you know, giving his recommends, yeah, the recommends. So 18 hours ago. He wrote The Ninth House by Leigh Bardugo. Great fantasy horror novel out now. Just saying. I love that he puts the just, just saying. saying. I've, he's, I've never heard of this author, though. You th- Yeah, I haven't either. Do you think that he gets like 20 grand for that tweet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, says, it says hashtag ad at the end yeah. of it. <laughs> It has like that little like banner at the thing that says sponsored. I can never hear just saying without thinking of that soup clip of billy bush doing it is like i'm just saying or whatever it's so good um on oct- wait let me see yeah on october 6 he tweeted out the first two episodes of emergence nbc are really good and allison tolman is terrific you should give it a shot but 13 producers and co-producers that's just a bit absurd i can't disagree with him there have you guys seen emergence uh, no, but I've seen ads for it on like every train yeah, stop. Yeah. And I love, you know, I love Allison Tolman. Yeah, just like network. I can't remember the last time I was intrigued by like a network, uh, like, you know, mystery drama. They just yeah. all seem a little hokey to me. Kind of wish Allison Tolman was playing uh, Annie Wilkes. In, uh, she would have been Annie a great Castle Annie Wilkes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. she was in the first season. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's actually so we, she wouldn't be able to play. Oh, yeah. That. I guess you're right. Because yeah. like. Even though they don't make any reference to any characters from the first season, really. Well, how many episodes have you watched? I've watched four. Okay. So you have seen the one character from the first season. Who was the one character, though? I don't want to spoil it for the people listening. We'll talk after the pod. Okay, yeah, we'll talk after. We'll we'll be talking about Castle Rock in a couple weeks. Yeah, we've 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 got a review coming out of that. So get ready. And yeah, but Emergence, I don't know much about it, but Stephen King recommends it. So if your tastes tend to line up with him, he loves those network dramas. It looks like he screwed up a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say he he did recommend it. However, uh, it's not on NBC, Steve. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He says, I screwed up. Emergence is on ABC. Tie me down and whip me with a wet noodle. Sorry, ABC. Ugh. Ew. I don't like that. Do you think he uh, he asked Tabby to do that later? <laughs> no. He did know. carry her under underwear, underwear on the set of uh, of Maximum Overdrive. A fact we've been saying since yeah. like the fourth episode of the show. Yeah. Um, Dan Flieger, what did else did he say on October 6th? On October 6th, he said, Full Throttle by Joe Hill. If you're feeling flush, maybe spring for the audio version. Incredibly cool cast of readers, including Zachary Quinto 
and Kate Milgrew. I feel like I'm Tim Heidecker on non-cinema. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, Kate Mil, 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 who's reading, blew me away. Pure pleasure. It's these little like... Pure pleasure. It's like, yeah, it's like little, Trump things. Like, yeah, sad. What, <laughs> I, I said that once too, that these really read like Trump tweets. There's, you know, just saying. Like pure the, pleasure. the cadence of them, yeah. Um, yeah, Quinto's on Nosferatu. The Joe Hill adaptation. Kate Milgrew, I know the name. I can't name. I can't place the actor. But uh, yeah, Full Throttle. I'm not sure. I haven't had a chance to really look into what's in this collection. I know Full Throttle because that was... Or I think it might have just been called Throttle. Is that the motorcycle story that he co-wrote with Stephen King? Um, I can't remember. Let me me look. There's like a film adaptation in development or something. Because I remember writing about it. It's a pretty good story. But uh, yeah, so I haven't read this collection yet. But I absolutely adore Joe Hill's 20th Century Ghosts, um, his short story collection. And I haven't read... um, what it was that uh, wind or weather, strange weather, which was his novella collection. I'm way behind him on Joe Hill. Weird. So yeah, it was full throttle a novella by Joe Hill and Stephen King. Yeah. In 2009. Yep. So this is probably just wrapped them all up together. Yeah. It was a Kindle single. So I, I wonder if like in the tall grass is in there too. I don't know if you can see because it might coincide with the release of the movie because they co-wrote that together too. And it came out around the same time. So, um, Oh, so, yeah, I guess it was called Throttle. Oh, Throttle, point. yeah. Yeah, so, look, this isn't a Joe Hill podcast, so apologies <laughs> if we're, you know... Going yeah, we're a little behind in our bit, Hill but, news. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's got a lot of reviews, obviously. Let me see if it has the actual specifics what on the book. What is in it? I, I don't know where it is on here, so... That's all right. Either way, you could find it. <laughs> yeah, you'll do better than us. Yeah. Uh, Mike, September 29th, what did he tweet about? The Child's Play reboot is an erudite socio-Marxist satire of American consumerism. Well, no, not even, but it's pretty funny. I'll agree with him. It's pretty funny. I, uh, you mentioned that you just watched Midsommar. I uh, did the stupid idea of sneaking into Child's Play right after seeing Midsommar, which is a two and a half <laughs> hour movie, and then going into Child's Play, which is like a 90 minute movie. Child's Play is fun, and there are a lot of interesting ideas that they take into this reboot, but... It, the characters are awful. Yeah. Aubrey Plaza is just totally miscast. And like yeah. Brian Tyre Henry is just like non-existent. Wasted. Yeah, it's totally wasted. It's just like, what are you doing with this character? Like Chris Sarandon had some agency as a character in the original one. I don't know. I just felt they could have gone a little bit further with the characters there. But, yeah. you know. Well. See, I, the one thing I did like about the Child's Play reboot um, is a lot of times they'll just reboot like, you know, Freaky Friday and they throw in an iPad or an iPod or something. Yeah. Whereas this, they actually had the idea of Chucky being able to connect to home Wi-Fi. So yeah. taking over the other parts of your house, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, that was kind of my interest in seeing it was I thought if you're going to like, it's just inevitable that the shit's going to get rebooted. So at least they had a fresh idea that like tied it into the modern thing in a way that made kind of sense. Um, and then I, and I and guess it's scary, too. I mean, there are some like yeah. legitimate like, oh, shit, if he could do this this is right really terrifying and i love that they don't have to go into the whole mysticism with like the voodoo doll and yeah. everything else like that but. and i mean the nice thing about the chucky franchise is like they can reboot it but then um mancini can still go and make his so the series is still coming i believe and brad Dourif's voicing it so so yeah i mean i'll probably see child's play eventually i'm i'm intrigued by it uh september 27th he tweeted congratulations twitterverse if you haven't read charles gate confidential you're missing a tall cool one um, so I don't know what that is. What does tall mean in this context? I I think he's like calling it. It's maybe like, Charles Gate Confidentials in new beer. Like a no, tall no, boy. It's, it's a. I think it's a Scott Von Doviak book. Oh, cool! So it's his. Uh, it's his buddy because Scott Von Doviak wrote um wrote a book about all the Stephen King movies, and uh, King seems to like him because he retweets him all the time. Mm-hmm. So Dan, what did he say on September twenty sixth? If you're one of those sickos like me who enjoys being scared, <laughs> Marianne, Netflix, will do the job. They're a glimpse of humor that give it a Stranger Things vibe. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. It also said, It also has, I say with all due modesty, a Stephen King vibe. But of course, Stranger Things has a Stephen King vibe. Exactly. So it's sort of... Um, yeah. I actually watched uh, a little bit of Marianne because a friend of mine recommended it. It's a French series. Mm-hmm. I didn't love it. It's not for me. But... I did think it's it's cool. It feels kind of like a a conjuring movie made via French uh made into a movie, so it's very like like glossy jump scare horror. Um but my friends really love it and King likes it. It just wasn't for me. It felt a little too slick and I had trouble kind of uh, getting on the same level as the characters. But I think if you're into, you know, I think it's probably like I think it it hasn't been marketed at all, so I'm kind of glad that it's getting a little bit of love cuz hey, I'm all about an original horror series here and there. Hey, je n'ai 
je ne dors pas au Marion. <laughs> uh, Mike, September 4th, what did he say? I get lots of books to blurb, and sometimes I miss one that's really good. Shaker by Scott Frank hit me like a bolt of lightning. Published in 2016, it's still available as an ebook. If you like Don Winslow, which Justin loves Don Winslow, loves or Lou Burney, read this book. So I guess that's, I, I like how he's, he's, you know, shilling books from 2016. <laughs> hey, man. God, this maybe guy doesn't just, stop. Maybe he was just chilling, picked it up and said, hey, this is good. Uh, Dan, what did he say on September 2nd? My new book, The Institute, is published September 10th. Hopefully you'll pick up a copy at your local bookstore. And while you're at it, how about picking up The Testaments, Margaret Atwood's sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. You'll win double. You think you're made of, more made of money, Stephen King? Not all of us can pick up two books. Um, we're going to talk about the Testaments later on this episode. Oh, yeah, right. Let's let's go. Let's also like talk about season three of The Handmaid's Tale, please. And I got to say one thing that's funny: the neighborhood we're recording this in, the local coffee shop is a Capital One uh, bank, and yeah. the local bookstore is the Amazon Books. So that's it's like accurate. the good old fashioned mom and pop Capital One Amazon combo. Hey, I've seen the testaments in the window of the Amazon books. So. Uh, I did too. That's what made. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what made you think about it. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, we got a little diversion here, a little kind of Twitter exchange yes. between Pat Oswalt and Stephen King. Yeah. And Mike, do you want to break it down? Sure. So on September 10th, Pat Oswalt, uh, like any of us, freaked out because uh, he found that he was in uh, the Institute. He's referenced in the Institute. He is, yeah. So he kind of did like a nice little thread. Yeah. Number one. Uh, he tweeted, just a flat out unhumble brag. I've been reading Stephen King since I was 10. And for this to happen is a big, big deal. Not exaggerating when I say everything after this is fun and games. This is a zenith I never imagined. And he attached like photos of the reference in the book and mm-hmm. then, you know, a picture of him holding the book. But just to say, not a humble brag. And yet he says he can read since he was 10. I'm sorry. <laughs> Two, technically I exist in the same universe as Larry Underwood, Jack Torrance, Christine, Pennywise, Randall Flagg, Spring Hill Jack, Carrie White, and Annie Wilkes. Now, here's the thing. You, you, you kind of screwed up there, Patton, because yeah. guess what? Carrie White's not involved in the Stephen King universe. Uh, she's separate from that, as we discussed in the first episode of, uh, you know, of this uh, episode, you know, this series. Um I guess you could make the argument that Carrie is, but no, I, I think that you're done fucked up. You're Patton. done fucked up, Patton. So you're not a fan of Stephen <laughs> King, and you're fucking lying to us. No, um, three. Also, I'd like to someone to design a Stephen King book cover for a novel called The Side Splitter. I guess that's a reference to it. Yeah, it's funny. a reference to the reference. In oh, the book, okay. So. Four, being mentioned in a Stephen King book is not a bucket list item because it feels so outside the realm of possibilities. You may as well have turned into a werewolf while skydiving and fight mutant butterfly Hitler on your list. Wait, I feel like maybe Warren Ellis does. Yeah, he's just he's just cracking wise. He's doing some jokes. Um, so and then King retweeted it or responded and saying the pleasure has been all mine for years now and had That's a little sweet. crying emoji. So very cool, very sweet. Uh, time to move on to a little section we call Molly Watch. Uh, Dan, do you want to read this one? September twenty um, first sure. for my birthday. Molly, aka the Thing of Evil, gave me a new shirt. She suggested I wear it today. She further suggested she might tear my throat out if I did not post a picture of it on Twitter. I must do her bidding. And uh, we see Stephen King in a shirt made, well, not made, but emblazoned with many, many, many photos of Molly's yeah, face. like a collage of Molly. And if you look I in the background... I would wear shirt in a heartbeat, If you look way. in the background, you can see uh, a pillow, a Pennywise pillow. That's pretty cool. Spooky. I wonder who made that for him. Spooky. And there's a movie called Vengeance that is on a pile of DVDs next to him. What movie is that? Vengeance. Vengeance. Pretty dumb title. <laughs> September 6th. Molly, a.k.a. The Thing of Evil, and Yoshi, a.k.a. The Thing of Good, await the arrival of Joe Hill's corgi. The thing of, hey, bro, what's happening? And a picture of some corgis waiting adorably at the door. So it would appear that Vengeance is a Nicolas Cage movie that was released in 2017. So it looks like our it's at the top uh, King of the pile. Cage. <laughs> it's at the top of the pile. Uh, deep thoughts by Stephen King. On September 11th, he tweeted. Uh, Dan, do you want to take this one? Oh, okay. I'll take it. You'll have to do it because the uh, computer's not loading. That's all right. Today's date is a palindrome. In Midworld, a day of enormous power and magic, both black and white. It's also uh, September 11th. So... Uh, 
Might want to acknowledge that, King. Just kidding. (laughs) That was bad. Never forget. That was bad. Uh, And I think that's a good way to end Needful Tweets for this round. Uh, It was a good time. I think it's time to strap on our shades and uh, hit the 405 because we're going to Hollywood, baby. It's Hollywood King. There's a town on the coast of Del Sol. Always find my way there. There's a place that the calls to my soul. Always find my way there. People there are forever young, forever young. And they toast to each other's love each and every night. Hollywood King is the section where we break down the latest in King news. And man, it always feels like there's a lot. There's a lot, but you know what? Honestly, there wasn't a ton for this episode, despite us being gone for so long. I was legit shocked. Yeah. most of this that we have listed on here are just things that I've, um, you know, copy and pasted. So if you want to just even just talk about the the random things. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's, I think there was so much news for such a short period, I think, uh, like leading up to it and then around it that I think now that it's done, they're cooling things yeah. off. They're like, we can't announce too much more King for now. Things are probably going to amp up a bit as we get closer to... I mean, uh, uh, Dr. Sleep, maybe? Yeah, oh, I'm sure yeah. things are going to go into overdrive. I mean, but th- that's not to say that King hasn't been in, like, you know, the cultural lexicon. I mean, we have Creep Show that's running week to week now. We have, we have you know, In the Tall Grass that literally just hit Netflix, which mm-hmm. we reviewed last week. So, I mean, he's out there. Yeah. You know. Excited for Dr. Sleep. Okay. If it bleeds, we can read it. So, uh, King is releasing a new collection of four novellas. Mm-hmm. They are called Mr. Harrigan's Phone, The Life of Chuck, rat and the title story if it bleeds and uh this will see the return of holly gibney from the mr mercedes trilogy as well as the outsider's new favorite character i will say based on the reaction from our constant listeners and constant readers on the the facebook or facebook on twitter or any of our social media no one's really excited for holly gibney to come i know man he's really into this character and to me it's like I don't know. I've read all of the things that she's been in, and she's a fine character, but he seems to sort of be wedging her into what he wants her to be, which is basically like another Bill Hodges. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this kind of, you know, folksy, wise, um, kind of imperfect, uh, rough around the edges yeah. detective character. But that suited Hodges more than it does Holly. Uh, it's just, it's a weird fit. And I don't necessarily get the get the obsession with the character, but hey, do what you do. Maybe we'll like her in this. You know who plays her in um in the Mr. Mr. Mercedes? Mercedes series? Justine Loop. You know what you know her from? No. She's Connor's girlfriend Willa on Succession. Oh wow! Yeah, she plays Holly. Holly's a lot older in the books. In here, in in the because uh, I think she's around forty in the books or so. In the show, she's like twenty three. So. Who's to say she's not playing Holly Gidney in uh, Succession? Hey, I, I well, it's like it's funny because you know Justine Loop is is very very beautiful, and they play that up on on Succession. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a she plays like an escort and. Uh, 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 they try to make her like very dowdy on Mr. Mercedes and it doesn't work so well. No. Uh, but she's good, very talented. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the last, I feel like King's novella collections are usually pretty good. Um, yeah, Different Seasons is one of my favorite reads. Yeah. I, I just can't believe how many cool stories are in that book yeah. and how many have spawned, obviously, just major films. Yeah, well, I mean, we didn't love Four Past Midnight, but... Uh, just after sunset and full dark no stars are fairly yeah. strong. I know yeah. f- I like full dark no stars a lot. That's got nineteen twenty two. I'm excited for that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and a they, good read. And they have it. Does that have um? No, no. Sundogs obviously the one that has four past midnight. Yeah, Sundogs just four reviewed past it. Midnight, yeah, and that's pretty much the only one that we really liked out of that. Uh, yeah, yeah. We 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 struggled with with that one, and even yeah. then we didn't love Sundogs. No, so. we need a rebound big time with a book episode and. Guess what? It's coming soon. Yeah, yeah. We've been in an odd place in King's oeuvre uh, because he was getting off drugs and, well, he was very heavily on drugs and then getting off drugs. So it was like the Tommyknockers, Four Pest Midnight, the Dark Half. He's working through a lot of shit. Yeah. But The Wastelands is on the horizon Mm -hmm. and we all love The Wastelands. Yep. So, spoiler alert, we like The Wastelands. Yeah. You're going to get a good review in that one. Yes. We apologize for any negative reviews. Well, we don't because, you know what? We're not bullshitters here. We say what we feel. But... We like the wastelands. Hey, what you see is what you get. <laughs> uh, do you want to do this next bit of news? Yeah. So that book that we're going to be talking about at the end of this episode, well, it's already got picked up for a limited series run. Uh, and it's by, hey, we were talking about Mr. Mr. Mercedes. Yep. 
David E. Kelly and uh, Jack Bender, the team behind Mr. Mercedes, are going to be doing the Institute. So uh, Kelly's going to pen the adaptation. So, God, we need to get Kelly on the pod. He's clearly a Stephen King fan. Or maybe he's just a latter-day Stephen King fan. I don't know, man. I, don't know. He, uh, I mean, I think it's kind of neat because he's such a legend in mm-hmm. TV. Like, I mean, obviously, but, you know... I don't know. It's like, I just feel like he had to have taken some kind of pay cut or maybe not if he's like, because isn't Audience Network owned by Comcast or something? Uh, I think it's AT&T. AT&T. I mean, yeah. they got all the money in the world, so they probably paid him a gazillion They're dollars. Like, it David, just, come on, please. Just yeah, it just still lies. feels like Mr. Mercedes is this like underseen, like underdog show, even yeah. though there's like so many heavyweights behind it. And they still haven't even dropped it on like Netflix or anything like that, No, right? which they should, because then more people would watch it, and it's pretty good. I mean, but... Breaking Bad is a total example of that. Yep. I mean, when they dropped it on Netflix those, those whole seasons before season yep. five, I think, started... It like tripled their audience. Yep. So just fucking do it. I don't know, but I love this quote that King has here. I'm delighted to be working with Jack and David, the creative team behind Mr. Mercedes. We think alike, and I believe the Institute is going to be a great success. <laughs> oh. What a boring Great quote. success. Great success. Um, but uh, Randall, I was going to say, as someone who's read the book too, um, I, I actually think this would be a cool TV show. Yeah. I, I think it could visually be very interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, sign me up. I'm a, I think it's kind of interesting that this team is doing it because I guess the the thing that they elevated they elevated Mr. Mercedes in a lot of ways uh, because they really gored it up a lot and they kind of made it dirtier and nastier than it already was and I'm because I'm shocked I I was like watching Mr. Mercedes I was like shocked by how nasty it is because you hear it's like on the audience network uh, through AT and T you know it's like I thought it was kind of going to kind of be like a defanged kind of thing David E Kelly you know he's not famous for his gritty things so I kind of like that so I trust him in adapting King because he seems to get um, you know the brutality of it but also the humanity of it and I, when you cast Brendan Gleeson. He's amazing in it. But yeah, so the Institute to me feels like it might work best as like a teen kind of show. So I wonder if like I'm a little bit like, oh, I wonder how they'll do with that because I almost see it going in the opposite direction where it's like softening things a little bit and maybe maybe making it more of like a teen ensemble thing. But that could also be me uh, having a very bad idea. Yeah, because like the book is sort of like what, 12 year olds. There's some eight year olds. Yeah, they're so young. They're super young. But yeah, if they aged it up to 15, 16, I think that could be kind of a hit with younger people. And the fact yeah. that it's got telekinesis and telepathy, yeah. that just opens up all kinds of visual tricks that you can do in the medium of television. Yeah. That maybe, you know, in the book don't always land. Right. I agree. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I think it's it's suited for adaptation. It's the kind of thing he writes where, you know, he's already probably thinking about it being adapted as he's writing it. So, so you say you're excited for this potential Institute adaptation. <laughs> what do you think about our next story? Taking the, <sighs> taking the stand. Here we go. Uh, Let's talk about the stand miniseries. Yeah, we need to we, talk about the, this. is going to be our main event for Hollywood King. Yeah, I think so. We've been talking about it on the socials a bit. We've listened to you guys, and you guys seem to feel similar to us. We're, look, we're not like... We're not saying that we're not excited for this. We're stand, not right? negative Nancy's. Yeah, we're trying not to be negative Nancy's. We're trying to be positive about it. But man, it's like they've announced a lot of new casting, which we're going to discuss shortly. And, and I guess, you know... We've been trying to be really positive about Josh Boone because because we know that he's a huge King fan and he's worn that on his sleeve forever and he's been scooping up rights and like really aggressive about it but man and some some of you guys were pointing this out in the in the in the comments but it's like what has he really done? done he hasn't <laughs> done anything like I mean, mean he did Fault in Our Stars yeah, yeah which was like not even like this super hit mm-hmm. that's the thing that's crazy to me it's like this is such a backwards ass industry sometimes where it's like you have people that have like proven hits sometimes and proven indie hits and they're still in the fucking waiting room here's a guy whose movie is literally in limbo right now and cbs is all like hey let's let's do it hey no fault to him no fault to our stars uh but (laughs) at the same time i'm also like uh this is like the biggest king property after it now to have adapted and it's just like, I don't know, I'm, I'm very, I'm Skeptical. trying to, t- yeah, because it seems not like they're not actually adapting the stand, but they're like remaking the 94 one in a way of just like what, what they, the ambition that they were able to do in 94, they're kind of matching that style of ambition again here where it's like, well, we could do another adaptation for television. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we've seen that. Yeah. And based on this casting, it kind of seems like they're just doing like kind of starry casting in a weird, weird yeah, way. Yeah. It's the casting is bizarre, but. But when you mention the movie that he's, you know, got on the shelf, it's like, 
New Mutants, which was supposed to prove his horror bona fides, right? Like he was going to spin off uh, the X-Men series like in a Logan-esque move and show this whole other side of what it could be. But man, it might be a studio thing. It Like maybe his vision was brilliant. We don't know. It's like, but all signs point to not good in multiple ways. And it's like... What is happening and why is he getting all these opportunities is kind of the question. Like, that's something you raised, I think, was like, how does this guy have so much currency in Hollywood? It made me laugh because it reminded me, uh, just yesterday they announced that Len Wiseman was um, from Live Free and Die Hard and that Underworld movies. Yeah, yeah. Like, is directing the John Wick spinoff movie about a female assassin. And it's like, I was joking with my coworker, we were like looking at his IMDb and we're just like, why is this guy getting opportunities? Exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> That's so fucking crazy about Hollywood. It really is just like, like who you know. That's a major picture. Yeah. yeah, it's a totally major picture. You have a ton of, especially like if it's going to be a female assassin, yeah. you have a ton of female directors who I have know. proven their, you know, that they can do this. Instead of some Hollywood hack who's I, like who's yeah. made a who's made a couple like, you know, decent movies that probably made their money back, but yeah. nobody remembers. Nobody or cares talks about. about. There's no cultural yeah. currency behind them. Yeah, it's baffling to me. But anyway. Let's talk about the casting. <laughs> yeah. So I can't remember who uh, have we talked about any of the casting? We talked about the initial one. So okay. we knew that, you know, James Marston's gonna be playing Stu, yeah. Amber Heard is Nadine, Whoopi Goldberg is Mother Abigail, uh Greg <laughs> and I laugh because it's just like it's I see Whoopi Goldberg as Whoopi Goldberg now. Yeah. This isn't the early nineties when she was getting, you know, Academy Awards yeah. for Ghost. Like she is literally a personality that's on television every day on the view. So She's it's a like, host, man. Exactly. So like you're getting someone that's supposed to be this luminary figure in the show. And all you're going to think of is Whoopi Goldberg now. Yeah. I mean, well, what do you think that they thought about casting Megan McCain as Nadine? Oh, Jesus. I just like, <laughs> I just had a really dark moment, like just ripped through my skull. She would have been perfect. I know. I'm, everyone well, hates her. I'll say this. Yeah. It's like, I, maybe I'd prefer her to Amber Heard. Um, I don't know. It's like Amber Heard. I'm sure she's fine, but this just does not seem like the right project for her. Like, I mean, that's your what you're saying when it's very starry eyed, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like they just looked at all the pretty people and said, "You want to do my my show? Like I'll cast you in a role." Because it's nobody like, has any, nobody's rough around the edges. Right? There. Everyone's really gorgeous. This is such a gritty right. world. It's such a gritty world, which is why people like you know the you know we go listen to our Stan miniseries episode. We like it because I think we all grew up on it and we have nostalgia for it. But it's like, we also can recognize that it's not great a lot of times. But man, like some of the casting is so good because it felt really gritty. I mean, like like Gary Sinise is obviously a very beautiful man, but he's also a little rough around the edges. You know, that's something that's always worked for him as an actor. He never feels like like a, you know, like a Xerox copy of an actor. And, uh, and then Miguel Ferrer, obviously, is Lloyd, is like great, uh, deep cut character casting. Matt Frewer is trash can man. Like even um, who's the actress who plays uh, the woman who like shoots at Tom and Rob Lowe. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's Shawnee Smith. Shawnee Smith. She's so good. And such like a quirky, weird, strange character actress. So like you throw in people like that into that world and it just gives the world such like a unique texture that, and even Jamie Sheridan, like they understood with, with Randall, like casting, I I like Alexander Skarsgård. He's a very talented actor, and I'm not I'm not like negative on them casting him. But I'm just worried they're gonna lean into like the true the True Blood smolder kind of thing. That's like, exa- I mean, that's exactly yeah. what they're gonna do. I mean, they're not gonna have. I mean, I'm hoping that they have the nuance that that Skarsgård shows in the first season of Big Little Lies, where yeah. he's he's got that sort of calm demeanor that just immediately goes into like terror. Yeah, because those scenes with like him and Nicole Kidman are terrifying. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, I, I think he's going to nail the horror aspect, but I don't know about the humor. And that's yeah. kind of the thing I love about Randall Flagg and the Jamie and the Sheridan. And folksy just, qualities. Yeah, very folksy. And yeah. Just him with his little mullet. And like, right. I actually just rewatched The Ice Storm recently. Oh, and he's great. Is in he that in there? Too. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's one of the swingers. See, I love Jamie Sheridan, man. He's really, he's a really interesting actor. And that's a dude who has a lot of gravitas, you know? And I think he could always transcend the bad haircut. And he never played it. Like Flag was was he could seduce people, but he wasn't like sexy. Yeah, you know? and Flag I think of as more of like a uh, Charles Manson type figure, yeah. a little like shorter, little rundown. Whereas this guy's like a six foot four Adonis. I know he's like an Adonis, and and he's talented, but it's just it just seems like weird casting to me. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. So the additions, the actual additions that we're going to be reporting on right now, because this is obviously, we're, you know, we're coming into this a little late. Um, by a little late, I mean a month. But, um, you know, so we're getting to, you know, Hoven Ad- uh, Joven Adepo? Yeah, from When from, They See Us. Yeah, from and from Leftovers. Like, um, he's playing Larry Underwood. Yeah, so, which is good. Which is great. Because awesome. I don't know the actor too well, but I think it's Justin smart. said he's great in The Leftovers. Well, that's great. Yeah. Because I think casting a black actor as Larry is really smart. We've yeah. talked about that on the pod before. That's what like, we wanted in our Behold the Stephen King Universe. Yeah, uh, yeah. Feature. Because it just, I think it's an easy way to... A, diversify the cast, but also just, like, change it and modernize it a little yeah. bit. Like, make Larry a hip-hop star and that, like, it fits the world and it totally. fits the character. So, um... I like that casting. Yeah. I actually really like Owen Teague as Harold Lauder, even though Owen Teague is still really good looking. And it's yeah. like... But he's he at least is strange. He's strange, um, yeah. Yeah, and I think it, it can work. I The thing is, I've only seen him in... Um, in it, I like him in it. I think he makes like a big impact in the amount of time he's in there because there's something like charismatic and strange about yeah. him. And he's in the upcoming HBO show Mrs. Fletcher that I'm oh. excited to see. It looks like well, he, he has was, a big role. He was in Bloodline. He was great. In Bloodline. Oh, was he? Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. And... See, Harold to me is obviously I've talked about on the pod my favorite character in the stand, one of my favorite King characters uh, in the entire canon. And I, I, I've been very vocal about how much I hate Coronemic as that character in the miniseries. But so you know. I'm trying to be optimistic about it. Uh, I mean, I always, I always joke. I joked about this on Twitter. Is like the only good Harold cat, the only perfect Harold casting is like Blood Simple era Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when he was really young. Exactly. Uh, that to me would have been absolutely perfect. But so They're, yeah, and they are going with uh, with with Tom Colin, and which is going to be. I mean, there's been a lot of debate about how they're going to handle that. Yeah. In, how do you today, handle Sarah? That? Um, but Brad William Henke, who's in Orange is the New Black. Yep. He's good actor. Playing him. Good actor. I love see the thing is like Daniel Sanjata, Sanjata um who's from uh Rescue Me. Yep. He's he always plays a fucking dickhead in everything he's in. <laughs> he was um, in Batman He's Rises, in Dark Knight, right? Yeah. yeah, he's like, "Oh, what? You you think you're going to get out of there?" And he's like he like <laughs> gives shit to like everyone who's downstairs like uh trying to like fight uh, you know, um what was it Bane in that movie? Yeah. <laughs> Who was the Bane. villain in that yeah. movie? Um, but so I'm I'm really excited to see him as the overbearing uh, military supervisor. But like, who the, is he? Again? But which character? That's going to that? be the 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 guy that was basically. Um, fuck, he played uh, Bud the Zombie in D- A Day of the Dead. Is it the guy who tries to kill yes. Stu? In yeah. The, okay. Yeah. That'll so be a good be role cool. for him. Yeah. But the the one that really has me just like fuck was when they cast Nat Wolf as Lloyd Henry. Yeah. That's just like that to me is bad, and it's like it's because Lloyd to me. Some I was looking at we were people were talking about this in the comments thread and I was looking it up online because they never he never specifies Lloyd's age in the stand. Um, at one point he's mentioned to be younger, but I think so many different fans will always associate like uh, Miguel Ferrer with the role. Oh, totally. And because and Mel, Miguel Ferrer was probably late thirties, early forties when he played that, and. To me, that just seems more appropriate, like especially like I like the idea of a guy who's like been in and out of prison and has, you know, had this really kind of gritty, fucked up life. And the thing about Lloyd is that he's a killer, like like he's not you. The book makes you care about him because it puts him through absolute hell, which is what. Uh, King is so good at is he tortures characters to make you care about them a little bit but the thing about Lloyd is that he is a genuine criminal he doesn't feel remorse for being a criminal he feels a little bit of remorse for killing that guy but like it's like he's still a killer you know yeah, and, he, and he, he's sort of wise too to flag in ways that other people aren't he yeah. kind of sees the bigger picture and he knows that he's being manipulated but he knows it's also the best way to get where he needs to go right and a kid this young it it's just going to seem like, you know, he's just gravitating toward big, tall, handsome, strong guy. Yeah. It's not going to have the same gravitas, kind of like what you were saying. I agree. And I feel like I've said this before and we've joked about it, but like, man, imagine like Walton Goggins in that role. No. Imagine like. Wow. That is brilliant. That would be so good. Yeah. We've been joking about that. Just like 
like he would be so perfect or like who is the other actor um the guy from uh, uh twin peaks the return who played her boyfriend oh caleb landry jones caleb landry jones which who's actually not that much older than that Wolf, yeah but he's but got, he's got that that sort of you he's, know he's, he's rough got, around the edge yeah he's rough around the edges and he's got character for days and he can read as older like you shave his beard and he looks really young if he grows a beard he looks a lot older. you know what's crazy so caleb landry jones is actually in no country for old men no at shit. the very end yeah i was listening to the rewatchables uh and uh fell of pod no i'm just joking <laughs> <laughs> wish um and uh Bill Hader had brought up that it was, or no, it was, uh, I think it was Chris Ryan. It was like, yeah, that's Caleb Landry Jones who'd go off and, you know, do big things. And he was also in Friday Night Lights uh, oh, no with, with Landry. We're all talking about Caleb Landry Jones and he's not even part of the cast. I know. But, you know, anyway. He would be, but like, that's the kind of actor I want to see in this world. You know, somebody who's weird, offbeat, strange, like rough around the edges and can bring a real personality to this world. Because I feel like the, that's one thing I just, I've always liked about the original is I feel like, the casting brings its own sort of texture to yeah. the 1994 version. I don't feel like these are characters playing a role. Like, I feel like their casting elevates the character somewhat. And so I've been thinking a lot. I mean, yeah, so Nat Wolf, I mean, I'm sure he's he's a fine actor. Like, I'm, I'm not, we're not bagging on Watch him. Watch him be our favorite character. He that might have, be. You know. Like, I'm always open to that sort of thing. Like, surprise me. I mean, obviously... I mean, anybody who knew Heath Ledger's body of work knew that he would he was good enough to be the Joker. It was just hard to picture, you know? And so, but he surprised everybody in that sense. And so I'm always, like, open to sort of, like, to actors really going outside their comfort zones. But I've looked, I looked at his um, IMDb page, and he, it doesn't seem like he's really, he's gone outside of his bubble, like, in terms of being, like, like teen kind of shows and playing those kind of roles. So I don't know. Maybe he'll be good, but he seems so wrong for Lloyd so so wrong for Lloyd and we talked about this last week but god does the king renaissance really need like a juggernaut hit and you know it could be Dr. Sleep I'm you know there was already starting to put the promotion we saw the two posters today that were launched that clearly lean into the the Kubrick Indian sort of yellow poster that was out there in 1980 and I I think that that could be like something that propels it, but this is really going to be the next one in in 2020. Like this is the big King event in 2020 because yeah. there's not really much going on other than his new book. Well, there is, but they're smaller. Sm- like, yeah, this like, is the big one. This is the big yeah. one. There's you know? not like an it happening. Yeah, because yeah. I, I mean, I can't think of really too many other adaptations that are going to actually land in 2020. Yeah, whether That's they the land thing. in 2020 is the question. So, I mean, I'm hoping this is good. I'm, you know, well, for the sake of this podcast, I hope it's really good. <laughs> well, I guess I'll just you know? say like to capitalize sort of on the Nat Wolf talk, it's not just Nat Wolf. Like when you look at whose cast is Nick Andros, yeah. like this guy Henry Zaga, who might be a very good actor, or Odessa Young as Franny. Like these are actors that I've seen stuff they were in, and I don't remember them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Which is which? Hey, that is always you know ripe for surprising us and doing yeah. something amazing. Yeah. The thing that's really interesting is that like Odessa Young and um. And Owen Teague are really young. Yeah. And James Marston's like really old. So they are actually keeping true to the book in terms of like yeah, their the age. age yeah. But I'm just wondering how that's going to. Wasn't Stu like 30 in no, the No, I think Stu's supposed to be like in his like late 30s, early, like maybe early 40s. I could be. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Because James Marston's like perfect there. Again, he I don't know. He can read his younger, but he's, Oh, I, I will yeah. say, um, in terms of casting that hasn't actually happened yet, you know, to our knowledge, Trash Can Man, there is one person who wants to be Trash Can Man. Who? Devin Sawa. So friend of the pod, <laughs> he wants to play Trash Can Man. I actually initially saw him as Stu Redman, although in hindsight, I think he'd be probably a little bit more Larry if they're going to actually, st- if they stuck to the original, you know, story. Yeah. Um, but I had, tr- so Ralph the other, Brettner. yeah, oh yeah, he could play Ralph Redman. <laughs> but this, this unknown, this casting that we've been wanting to, you know, for so long, someone let us know who's playing Ralph. Um, but yeah, no, over the weekend, I just, I was just thinking about the casting and I was like, fuck, Scoot McNary would have still been the best yep. Stu. It would have yep. been so good. Stu and then would, he Scoot would, would have been amazing. Devin Sauer replied saying, uh, um, he's like, uh, I want to be Trash Can Man or whatever. And I was like, no, you're more of a Larry. He's like Trash Can Man or in Bust or something like that. <laughs> you know? Who's going to play the kid? Are they even going to include no, the kid? I love this character and no one ever, he's never going to be seen. It's too dark. It's so dark. And, and I think, you know, even with 10 episodes... It's like they're gonna have. They're probably trimming everything they can. I think get the Coors Light sponsorship tie-in. <laughs> <laughs>
I wonder who Marilyn Manson. I mean, I still think he's probably just going to be the monster shouter and be in like one scene. But uh, I don't know. I hope it's not more than that. Like, I hope. What if he's trash can man? That would be so bad. It's funny, too, because I think he's helping out with the soundtrack. And as we just discussed, this cast is made of beautiful people. Yes. There you go. (laughs) But yeah, that's like the theme song. And it's just all like the faces of the actors. Just a montage of all the the beautiful people. Well, he he is covering the doors, the end, which I imagine is going to be where Bloister Colts Don't Fear the Reaper was in the 1994 one. I just, what if they just redo the entire 1994 one? It's like the same script. (laughs) I'm here for it. I I love that the the Blue Oyster Cult sequence. Yeah, that sequence is It great. is really good. And I just love that, yeah, Ray McKinnon, one of my favorite actors, plays uh, Charles Campion, the guy who runs off at the end, which is the role I actually think Marilyn Manson would be fun for because it's like, it would be a fun, cheeky little thing if it's like, oh, Marilyn Manson actually brought the apocalypse on, you know? And if you follow Josh Boone on Instagram, he just posted a photo of Campion's... Uh uh, fatigues. Ah, and didn't he post a photo with Mick Garris? Yeah, Mick Garris was on the set, so maybe he was like, uh, you're remaking my fucking movie. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No. Um, well, that's fun. I, yeah, it was funny when I was talking to, um, I interviewed Frank Darabont recently and he mentioned, he was talking about the Stand 1994 series and he was, he didn't seem to like it very much, but he was like, I think Mick just didn't, he didn't have the budget, you know, he just didn't oh, have yeah, the budget no, was what no. he kept saying. And then I looked at, and I was like, oh, I wonder if he knew Mick. And then I looked and like, they wrote uh, the Fly 2 together. Yeah. They like worked together yep. all the time back in the day. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. I wish I could have heard him talk about the Stand more, but. Fly 2 has the most unforgiving ending to a villain I've ever seen in a movie. Well, think about the end of The Mist. I bet it was Darabont. Yeah, that's true. That dude knows how to write. He can write a good happy ending like Shawshank, or he can write the ending. cruelest fucking ending ever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that's fun. Any other thoughts on the stand casting? Not for me. I mean, I think we're still waiting on Trashy, and uh, and then and probably the kid. we need the kid. <laughs> he wants the kid. Just give him the kid. Just give him the kid. I'm trying to think. Are there any other major roles that haven't been cast? Like Ralph, obviously. I love Ralph, and they haven't officially announced Greg Kinnear as as Glenn Bateman. Oh wait, they haven't done rumored. officially. Oh, no, wow. it hasn't been official. Maybe he's just giving him like guff. Yeah, you know, maybe they're waiting for him to get a little bit older before they. <laughs> yeah, because he's, he's still pretty young he's, there. Well, he reads as young. I mean, I'm sure yeah. he's like in his fifties, but these guys like have personal trainers yeah. and shit. They all look like they're 35. They still need to cast uh, the general uh, Ed Harris's. Oh character yeah, Ed Harris's general. character. Yeah, so I don't then, even know uh, if he was a general. I think he was, he might have been a sergeant, <laughs> commander, or a commander, or whatever. <laughs> um, but I, if they, I hope they include the scene where he like pulls the guy's face out of the soup again. Oh yeah, be, that's good. Uh, well, the thing is, they didn't put they, that. Not in, the, not in the 94 one. No, in the but ni- you see him in the camera. That to me is one of the scariest sequences in the yep. book is when that dude goes into the underground and shoots yeah. himself. Yeah. Cause Start then you're like, all right, all bets are off. It's, it's terrifying. Over. It's over. So yeah. Um, okay, cool. Next bit of news. What do we got? Nothing. That's it. Oh, that's it's it. It's time to head to the Institute. Rules? Piss on your fucking rules. Oh, Sit down. Will you Cheswick? I want you to know something right here and now, Miss Ratchet. I ain't no little kid. You said I ain't no little kid where you're going to have cigarettes kept for me like cookies and I want something done. Okay, let's talk about the Institute. Uh, Dan, you just finished it. Yes, just uh, finished it, knocked out the last few chapters here on the couch in the studio. <laughs> yeah, you know, so the Institute, the, just so you guys know, this is going to be a spoiler for your review. We're not going to go uh, too deep into this because, you know, we're going to do that in 2028 or whenever we get to it. Um, but yeah, so let's break it down. Basically, the Institute is a story about uh, children between the ages of like, God, like what, five, six and uh, 16, 18 around there who possess not like massive telekinesis or telepathy powers but they they have like they show promise yeah they show promise in that thing and the book opens and this is not really a spoiler it's literally right at the beginning and it's described as uh this kid named luke who's our main character he's kidnapped from his house in the middle of the night and his parents are murdered and he wakes up and he's in a room that looks exactly like his own except there's no window which is to me a really creepy uh great opening and then he realizes that he's not at home he's in this place called called the Institute, where uh, he's not the only child there. There's several other, you know, different people his age, younger, older, and they all possess those same things. And they're basically, uh, without giving, they're they're told that they're going to be eventually put into, they're in what they call the front half, and they're going to be put into the back half. And they say that, and then after that, they say, you can go home. And they say, your parents are fine, everything's good. But Luke, you know, he's a he's a clever little guy and he's able to sort of, you know, piece together some things that and that think that maybe that's not true. And so his uh, 
his cohorts, who include a girl named Kalisha, uh, a guy named George, a guy named... Is Nick the like cool one? Yeah, I think Nick's sort of the rebel, a little the bit rebel. older. I like that character. Yeah, so... Avery. Yeah, a- Avery's sort of a younger guy who's, uh, whose powers are a little bit stronger than everybody else. And, you know, it's got a lot of shades of Firestarter. The marketing materials uh, say that it has a lot of shades of it. But that is sort of my issue, is when I start to think about the ensemble nature of it. But I guess on a broad sense, Dan, what was your feeling... Um, like, how did this book feel to you on a broad scale when you think about it in the larger canon of King's work? So it reminded me a lot from the Dark Tower of the Breakers. Yeah. On um, these sort of institutions, like the titular institute. Yeah. Where, you know, dark forces gather children that show promise. And you're not really sure what the reasons are for these children being gathered. But you can see that they are a powerful weapon. And yeah. whether they're used in the right hands or the wrong hands, they can do some damage to enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I love anytime there's like a hint of shine or shining in the King's books. You know, this doesn't get too heavy into it. And a lot of it is sort of from the kid's perspective. So you're not totally sure why they're there mm-hmm. until the final kind of climax of the book. Yeah. But it, it's good. And I, I, one thing I will say, because it starts off in like Gulfport, Florida. Yeah. Where I went to grad school and that Stephen King has a home there. Oh, nice. So he's always around that area. So it was funny to hear him reference highways and roads that I used to go to. <laughs> and it's a character that's not even really in most of the right? book. It's yeah. a sort of off-duty former police officer. That's one of the few friendly adults in this novel. Yeah, that's an interesting thing is the book kind of... Uh I forget. I see. I already forgot. The actual opening of the book is we meet this character as he sort of uh, his flight gets delayed and he decides that, oh, he'll just stick around this area for a bit. He's in no rush to move on with his life. And he kind of finds himself becoming sort of what they, what they call a night knocker. It's like a member, you know, sort of a, a, a low, low level member of the police department when he gets into the he just wanders into this small town. And those first couple of chapters about him just like making friends and becoming part of this town and then he disappears for a very long time and I and King said uh, that he that's kind of the intention that he wanted he wanted you to forget about him and then when we get to him again it's sort of a nice surprise and I will say um, especially reading Dr. Sleep right now he does those kind of narratives so well the idea of like a driftless sort of character uh, you know hopping on buses or trains or planes or whatever and then ending up and sort of wandering into a town and sort of rebuilding themselves once they get in there and building a new life from scratch he he's done that in several different stories and that's kind of how uh, the early part of Dr. Sleep works with Danny Torrance and they're so charming and he does I don't know that's like to me one of the most gripping parts of the book is just watching this guy uh, you know integrate himself into this really tiny community which ends up playing a big role later in the book but yeah for me I thought it was I thought the institute was an interesting I I hate the phrase return to form but it does feel like a return to form in some ways because King has spent the last several years writing a lot of hard-boiled crime fiction uh, even though in some of a lot of them there's like a supernatural component but books like The Outsider, Mr. Mercedes, that whole trilogy, uh, Joyland, books like that, they're really pulpy. And they are he's really into crime books, and he re- tweets about that a lot. So it's clearly where his mind's at a little bit. And then especially the fact that he's bringing Holly Gibney back for this upcoming book, and she is firmly planted in that bit of his brain. And, and just like a lot of crime authors like to reuse characters and bring them back and have like, you know, a blank blank story, John Smith story. I think he wants to that Holly Gibney to be that for him. Yeah, and I, I've always been more attracted to the fantastical elements of King so I mm-hmm. like to see it too and like I, I enjoy crime novels but I find that generally the uh, nonfiction crime is actually more interesting yeah. than fictitious crime um, so it was cool to see this you know psychic powerful children yeah they really got into the difference between what's a telepath and what's telekinesis which mm-hmm. I've always you know discussed when you watch X-Men like whose psychic powers would you want to have right and like what could you do with them yeah and, and there's X-Men elements in this that are kind of neat but yeah like, oh, there's more than X-Men elements. Uh, <laughs> I made a list of just some of the pop culture references that are sprinkled throughout. There is a direct so, X-Men reference. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, basically, you know, he, he tries to capture the voice of what young people talk about. And there's yeah. always a bit of a disconnect there. <laughs> um, but some of the things that the kids reference that aren't really playing a part in the story. But yeah, there's no spoilers. They come up in conversation. We have Tom Petty, X-Men, Justice League, G.I. Joe, Patton Oswalt, obviously. Yes. But that's not really the kids so much. Uh, America's Got Talent. Popeye, Netflix, BoJack Horseman, <laughs> Walking Dead, and of course Kanye West. 
So I do remember Kanye. He's got his finger on the pulse of America. He does. He, I think he just asked his like grandchildren. He's like, what are you guys watching and listening to? Yeah, we're saying they should have done like Logan Paul. Yeah, like, I you know, know. More YouTube stars. I think and- that's the stuff where they started talking about that. And he's like, what? What? Yeah. And there was one part we've talked about, I think me and Randall before. But uh, so at the Institute, the rules are a little more lax for the kids. So there's like some access to like some, you know, cigarettes and alcohol. Yeah. And at one point when they're smoking, he says something about like, oh, is this Pleasure Island from Pinocchio? Yeah. And I was like, I don't think most 12-year-olds are <laughs> quoting Pinocchio, but what do I know? That's so funny. Yeah, and those elements, though, like I think the camaraderie between the kids is 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 not bad. But for me, if you're going to compare it to It, which to me, the book It just does such a beautiful job of of deepening these characters, deepening the bonds, showing how each kid fits into the whole. I think individually, King does a pretty good job with a few of these characters, but he keeps the focus so tight on Luke the whole book that I miss... There's this ensemble element that he's trying to build throughout this book, and this was my biggest issue with it, was that it never really, to me, until maybe the very, very end, felt like a real ensemble. Yeah, and I think the the thing that it benefits from is that it takes place a certain generation that yeah. we've all kind of we have enough distance from it that we can recognize it there's certain yeah. hallmarks or is this being modern day kids it is a little bit we don't really fully understand them so we're not gonna be able to see them bonding in the ways that we would you know yeah and maybe it's part of like king was writing about his own childhood when he wrote it and but exactly just, it's, yeah. he's familiar with this and it, you can tell there's that familiarity and it gives it a more of a sweetness whereas this is why i think too the show might or this book i rather should do pretty well as a show because mm-hmm. I think if you have the right actors and cast, it's going to feel very natural. Yeah. Or yeah. some of the dialogue, I, I would say with this book, I enjoyed the story a lot. Yeah. And I just didn't enjoy the, you know, the writing quite as much. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I think the story is good and I think it really picks up about um, halfway through. I mean, honestly, I think I struggled a little bit in the first half of the book, but uh, because I guess my problem is, you know, you just think about King and you think about fully realized characters. You think about clear, you know, really interesting, complex villains and stuff like that. And here, I was like aching for King to do more with his villains. Like he introduces us to very menacing characters and then they just disappear or we only see them in sort of closed door meetings, you know, talking. And I'm like, I'm like, give me something darker here. Like, and then there's so many like different orderlies and stuff that he introduces that are menacing in themselves, but there's so many of them. And maybe that helps create sort of, you know, a grander sense of place uh, and the breadth of the Institute. But for me, I needed a couple more like really cemented identifiable villains. Yeah. And I I think what's interesting to sort of the staff of the Institute, right. You know, not clear whether this is government or private, But they can only be around it for so long just because the power from these children starts to kind of uh, scramble their brains a yeah, little bit. Yeah. And I think there's the characters, a Heckle and Jekyll, who mm-hmm. you don't see a ton necessarily, but they're referenced throughout. And you're kind of like, oh, man, I wish we had a little more exposure yeah. to just how crazy these guys have become. Yeah. You know, for me, it's like... And I think I say it got a lot more interesting halfway through because that's when you start to realize why they're actually there, which is really interesting. And also what things are like in the back half, which is also really interesting. And so and that's to me where the more interesting characters are. But the impact of the kids on the adults and the the idea of a nefarious sort of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Evil institution kind of thing. The idea that it's suffering because people aren't changing light bulbs or wiping down camera lenses to me was a really fun part of it. I think that's sort of it. That's like was to me sort of a very unique take on, you know, usually you think about these these like secret sterile doctor laboratories and they're all clean. Everything's super clean. And one of the things here is about how uh, there's administrative problems. And that to me is like a really cool, unique texture that the book. Adds yeah, to it. it's, I remember one time reading a book about a bus driver who was a military contractor, Mm -hmm. basically, you know, just bus driver, but he was making about 250 grand a year because he's risking his life to just do a simple task in a very hostile territory. Yeah. So you think about the maids and sort of the lunch ladies Mm -hmm. and just, you know, the groundskeepers here just doing, you know, changing the toilet paper, making sure things are clean. But when you're around such an important, uh, space as the Institute, Mm -hmm. it's interesting kind of peek into those people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, but I think ultimately I, I I did like the Institute quite a bit. I think it's I think especially because, you know, even when King doesn't write 
like the kids in this book aren't as compelling as kids that have been in some of his other books because I think he's just he's getting away from it you know he's he's a little too old to be writing uh kids as well as he used to but at the same time he I do love the way that he puts them in moments of peril and helps them sort of you know that the whole way that he can write uh the power of youth and imagination and all those things and coming together it's always very beautiful the way he does it and it's very lovely and that to me was a really fun part of the book and I think I just like the general air of you know psychic powers and then there's like a good dose of action horror going on like a little bit later on and a lot of fun stuff like that and I think after you know once I think it gets past the initial speed bumps there's a lot of adventure in the book that I think is good and um, and I found myself you know it took me a while to sort of warm up to Luke as a main character but you know by about halfway through I think I was on board with his journey and I was enjoying the hell out of it so yeah, and you know they when he gets to the front half they reference the back half and of course this Chekhov's gun you're gonna have to get mm-hmm. to the back half eventually but yeah normally King is great at dropping those little hints you know it'd be like it the last time he would ever see her and you're like ooh, yeah you know, it's titillating whereas with this I was like let's just get to the back half like <laughs> I'm, I'm over this yeah that's kind of how I felt too but you know ultimately I think it's a solid addition to the King canon and uh the only thing is is it's kind of cl- so clearly inspired by, in some ways, by the 2016 election, uh, like, and the border separations and stuff like that. And there's some interesting commentary there. But man, uh, I will say the way that when he when he kind of directly starts referencing Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election and Donald Trump, I was like, no, stop no, it. There's still that bitterness. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. But it was uh, a little bit rough. And yeah, but. So we're not going to do nose ratings. We'll save those for uh, when we actually do the episode. 2038, I think. You yeah, said, yeah, yeah. But I would say overall, though, I think it was a solid entry and, and sort of a fresh uh, new book from King because, you know, I was a little bit ready to to move on from the crime aspect of it, but which I'm imagining we're going to head back yeah, to. So it was nice to have a little bit of horror. And this reminded me when I was a kid, too, and I would pick up books like this. Like, I think a yep. young person would really enjoy this yeah. book. It's kind of, it's not YA, right? but it's, you know, it's... You can get through it pretty quickly, and it's interesting enough, and there's something, you know, kids being bad is always fun to read. Yeah, It's the kind of book I would have loved when I was really young, because I loved, I liked stuff that was about kids in this way, but also I loved a lot of violence and fucked up shit, and this this book does get a little bit gross at times, which is fun, like in a good way, and uh, and I, those are the sections I probably would adore, so. So yeah, uh, Mike, thoughts on the Institute? Let me just say, uh, this is a classic... (laughs) tale of of kids in peril um and uh, it's a page turner no i I, i'm i've left the institute i I started reading it and then i uh went to uh down the hall in the institute to dr sleep dreamland yeah yeah. you probably wouldn't get the institute mike it's it's not for you yeah might be a little beyond it's not transformers (laughs) (laughs) fuck you that's my line (laughs) this isn't dan caffrey we're talking about um so yeah that's our episode for today stick around uh we'll be back next week and um Long, Long days, days and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. Consequence Podcast Network.